Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in a chilly and empty capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Andrew McKenzie, director of Verdant Spirits, a distillery based in Dundee. Andrew, hello. Good afternoon, Matthew. Good afternoon. Thank you for coming on the program. Um, Before we actually get into the subject of leadership, we need to address the COVID-19 situation. Um, How has that affected your business? Um, It has turned it completely upside down. As of last week, we have moved our production across from gin and rum to hand sanitizer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that has been extremely frantic um, and we are struggling to keep up with demand really um, but we, 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 we're, we're doing our best Now of course it is an alcohol based product but I'm sure that it, does there need to be any sort of retooling for this sort of uh, change? Um, not really, the bottling process is is, is different um, but it's what in the, in the distilling trade we call compounding which is what we're licensed to do which enables us to mix spirits with various other compounds that that, that that are there. So so really, that side of it is pretty straightforward. Um, but as we scale up, it is going to be uh, there are going to be incremental changes as we go um, as 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 we get onto larger volumes. Um, but bottling is really the the, the, the labour intensive part that it, we, we we haven't got automated as we would do for our gin. And how long does it take to produce a hand sanitizer from start to finish? It's um, it's it's pretty quick. I mean, the mixing side of it is a matter of less than less than an hour, um, and they they suggest that we then let it sit to for seventy two hours just to to to, to, to uh, properly blend, um, and then it's then it's ready to to to, to, to bottle. We're currently bottling in um, five liter containers because uh, we've not been able to source any smaller ones at the moment. Mm. So, so we're, we're, just, we're just batching up in bulk, which suits an awful lot of the, uh, uh, the healthcare operations that are around, around us here. Um, and, and funnily enough, we've got other, we, we, we had a, an order in from the Army this afternoon. Now, uh, how long do you think you will be producing uh, this product? That's hard to judge, and that is quite a difficulty for us at the moment because um, the key ingredient for the sanitizer is the same ethanol alcohol that we use in the gin. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to, to judge at the moment what sort of quantities we need to be ordering up. We're, we're, we're sort of caught on a cusp because there is a shortage of ethanol, uh, ethanol alcohol at the moment. Um, the temptation is to order a lot while we can still get it. Um, but on the other hand, if, um, as other companies come back online, uh, industrially producing hand sanitizer, we don't want to get left with with huge stocks of ethanol on our books um, mm. that, 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 we, that we can't use. So it's 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 a hard one to judge. Uh, I'm thinking at the moment from, from most of the conversations we're having, I'm certainly looking at at least three to four months. Now, when it comes to uh, the production of hand sanitizer, is your distribution network the same or is this uh, changed as well? Uh, the distribution network is, 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 is very different. Um, we have been struggling to source outer packaging for the containers that we're bottling in. Uh, so we've been unable to uh, dispatch outside of the area that we're in. Within 10 days or so, we hope to have that part resolved and we can then 
begin to um, dispatch nationwide in um, multiples of, of, of 10 and 20, 20 litres. But at the moment, it, it, it's purely local, with the exception of one contract that we have at the moment with, a, with an offshore, offshore company who are trying to uh, keep their, their rig workers safe. Uh, we're delivering by the pallet load, which, which, which is, which is mm. doable from us. Now, when you do shift uh, production back uh, to the manufacture of, of spirits, uh, will there need to be some sort of uh, rigorous um, uh, recalibration uh, to clear out all of the, uh, the remainder of the uh, hand sanitizer? Um, yeah, well, only of the containers that we're mixing in. The mixing vessels will need to be will need to be cleaned thoroughly. We'll just steam clean those. Um, they are obviously because at the moment they 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 have been containing uh, the sanitizer, which has got hydrogen peroxide and, and, and glycerin in it. Mm-hmm. Neither of which we want in our in our drinking spirits. No. So that's the only that's the only real issue we have at the moment is is, is getting out is, is thoroughly cleaning the. Um, the mixing containers. Well, I think everyone here at the uh, Leaders Council would like to applaud you on your efforts to uh, to assist the nation in this time of need. Um, and uh, moving on from COVID nineteen, if we can, uh, is uh, let's get into the conversation on leadership. I always like to start mm-hmm. this conversation off with a very simple question: What does the word leader mean to you? It's interesting. I mean, I was very fortunate in. Um, for many years, I, I worked with one of the most uh, effective leaders I've, I've, I've ever come across, a guy called Ron Dennis, who, who, who was the chief exec of, of, of McLaren. And working with him um, was an absolute picture of leadership in that way. Um, and it was the clarity of vision, the clarity of purpose, uh, and that single-minded drive uh, and the ability to communicate that single vision to everybody in the organization. So it's very important for communication. How do you keep the communication lines open with your staff? Well, that's quite easy. I only have one. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it must and she's be my daughter. <laughs> well, that's uh, that. Coming to that, running a family business can be tricky at times. What are the pitfalls yeah. that that one could fall into? Um, take, take, taking work home, taking it outside, taking it outside the office. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's important that, that that we maintain the lines of, of, of professionalism and, and a business approach when we're, when we're making gin or sanitizer or whatever it is we have to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the relationship outside of the business stays, stays separate. So there's no uh, performance reviews over Sunday lunch? <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> Let's go back to the beginning of your career when you first started off uh, in the world of work. I know you mentioned uh, a couple of uh, things earlier, but were there any uh, people who uh, acted as role models to you when you first first starting out that you really based your leadership style on? Um, from for even again, going back to my going back to my college days, there were there were uh, a number of people who who. Uh, Standing out as, 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 as great designers and, and leaders in that way. Um, our course director, Romic Barber, was was a, was a great influence. He he, he uh, just brought a calmness to the whole process of design, and so it was very interesting to to, to be influenced by him in that way. Um, and then going forward, it was just peers and people that that, that, that I worked alongside in, in, in a number of different roles. Really, um, you can just take many good things and and learn some some 
some some things by other people's perhaps failings in some ways, um, and they all, they all go to build the the, the picture of, of of what makes effective leadership. And what does make effective leadership? What separates a good leader from a bad leader? I, for me, I think it is that um, it's an ability to see the wood for the trees, um, and it is that clarity of vision that you that, that goes back to that point that you communicate that you can communicate. I think you need to have a consistent approach and know what your goal is and move towards that goal and, and, and avoid knee-jerk reactions to some temporary situations that, that inevitably occur in, 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 in industry. Um, I think it's the long-term goal that is, that is important. And you can make adjustments to, to, to the conditions that you're meeting as you go, but always keeping that, 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 that main objective well and truly in the sights. Now, unfortunately, our time together is drawing to its close. But what does the next 12 months have in store for Verdant Spirits? Who knows? That I mean, I, I have no idea. Um, hopefully, I mean, it, it, it is a very worrying time. Um, we are shifting very, very little spirits. Um, and we had um, a number of launches uh, coming up. We were fortunate to get the contract for the uh, House of Commons gin. Um, that was originally due to be launched on December the 12th, and for obvious reasons, that 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 was that was postponed, and that was then moved to uh, March the 18th, and of course that's now been postponed. So it's 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 worrying times for us. Um, we're just going to have to try and find the best way we can to survive as it is at the moment in in, in what looks to be a very very meager meager future. Well, I'd like to. Uh once again, say thank you for everything that uh, the team of Verdant Spirits are doing uh, to help in this national crisis. And Andrew, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you. And I hope you come back on the program when things have settled down and we can have a, a more spirit-focused uh, conversation. Andrew, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. That was Andrew McKenzie, Director of Verdant Spirits. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett. Uh, we're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, it's always a pleasure, but uh, since we are talking around the theme of leadership, it would be remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure your delight that a certain someone is leaving a post, what are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the... Party membership are going to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she can reach out to people that others can't. So I'm, I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, mm. very able, and presents extremely well. And I, I hope that one of those two... Uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, there had been a lot of criticism, especially from 
uh, four uh, candidates a little further left um, than them who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism. Yes, I think it's really unfortunate, uh, particularly when new MPs come in having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, I, we, we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the, the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before, Sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher Home Secretaries because the people that I cared about most were, on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a, a single nation just off the coast of Europe, and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in, but how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world. Those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, an ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad. Um, and and climate change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us. No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies, certainly. And sp speaking of your time uh, as Home Section in government, um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean, I, it's on the theme of bottom-up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children by inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them, uh, giving them a, a, a window on the world, which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. 
And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in, in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that, the contribution to... Uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other. Uh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin a term... Uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to, given your answer, David to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day -day basis. And without them, half of society wouldn't function. Completely. I, I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's, what, it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I, I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders in a different vein, I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times. Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom, in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in the, his conference speech the year before he stood down as Prime Minister... And I, I knew exactly what he meant. He said the worst ministers are those who won't take decisions. And anyone in a leadership role needs to, A, know why they're there, what they intend to do with the uh, authority mm. that goes with being a leader and a manager, and then how to draw people in as a team to be able to implement it so that it's a team approach. It's not someone out on a white charger. It's someone who can mobilise, motivate, provide incentives for people to feel that they're part of the solution as well. Uh, and I think whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sport, it's exactly those qualities that you need to succeed in any of them. Yes, it is. And if people recognise that and they have a clear idea themselves, they, they have and build, because you can't build, leadership qualities, they know how to manage their own time and their own emotions because we all, from time to time, feel like really losing our temper and... I don't pretend for a minute over the years <laughs> that, that I haven't. How, how to control your own feelings and emotion and how to bring the best out in other people's. How, how you work out that people who are really good don't threaten you, they compliment you. People who have complementary skills to you are really valuable. And I suppose the ability to listen, not just for its own sake, mm. but to listen because you are conglomerating, I suppose you would call it plagiarising, thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talked to the fans after the game. Well, everyone <laughs> knows, uh, David, you know, you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after No, week. I, it isn't, although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very good about of you. Sheffield United in the Premier League, because it, it, it's change, it does change, it lifts the image of the 
City internationally, if you're not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City, then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world. So that's good. I, I, I could cry sometimes. We can, we can beat uh, Brighton, Premier League side in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them 2-0 in January. And then you can lose 5-0. And then five you lose 5-0 yeah. at home to Blackburn and half the fans were out of the ground by, by half-time. What, what would a manager blanket say in this situation? I, I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field... They walked instead of ran. They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What, what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously? And if you could answer that question, and there may have, something may have happened, who knows, something during the morning before the game started, something may have gone sour... You get the answer to that question, and you then start to ensure that we never, never do this again. Yeah, well, I'm a Chelsea fan, so I'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute. Um, <laughs> but I would like to pick up on another point you just made, actually, David, about choosing a strong team, people that compliment you. A lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick, perhaps, the more ambitious, the more... Uh, 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 people, uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her... One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Well, I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which, as we record this podcast, has not yet happened. Mm. And I imagine, I, I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle, not just to get people in who he likes, but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world. You can pronounce on what you're going to do, but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it, if they're just toadies, by the way, and there is a tendency, a new mm. prime minister, large majority, got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them, but get able people in. I, I, I won't comment on some of the less able, but there are <laughs> clearly in the cabinet as I speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it. I mean, incidentally, anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If, but part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief that you believe in it and that you can persuade people of it. And if you can't do that under real cross-examination rather than sitting on the sofa for, a, for a, a, an easy morning television programme, get out of the business. You know, don't, don't do Without it. Without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, that's, and also, I should add, that is how uh, all Stripes earn that respect in the first place. But there is a question, isn't I'm there? I'm trying to answer the questions. That's, that's <laughs> what I always tried to answer the or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them. Either way. Um, oh, well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why. Quite. Uh, <laughs> the, um, and I think one of the great things about 
at the Leeds Castle especially is that um, it takes and talks to people, again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether it's leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary. When people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a, an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities, or you're driving a business that actually says, this is why I get up in the morning. So you've got to have something internal to yourself. The, the second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better you, you can take pride without being egotistical. There's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better. And that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as, as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors, and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in, in the end, you've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the, the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin, they, they, it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics, you, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education... And employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do, and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us. It turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Center mm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a readover in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse and you don't get everything right that's the other thing you've got to recognize which is why being part of a broader team being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> because otherwise you blow with the wind that that that's the the measure and i think if we can share those traits those experiences those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel, it will take people a lot further than the, the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, the very uh, in a couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions, perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit? Uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January, and where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in indicated where my support is for the the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January, two thousand and twenty, Keir Starmer has clearly got a got off to a very very um, 
strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post, who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019. Uh, and that, that's got to be Lisa Nandi or, or Kia. On, on the, um, the, the next few months... I think that the government will probably do quite well. I, I, I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my family and loved ones, is football and and politics? I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off. But I am really reluctant. And I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blunkett, thank you very much for joining us today. God bless you, Jonathan. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland its parent company, or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.